0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. My name is Jake. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer, and I'm just gonna get right into the scripture this morning. We are in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, so the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 10. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. We are reminded this morning, brothers and sisters, that we are at war. I don't know if you woke up this morning feeling like you were at war like you are in the midst of battle, but every night that we lay our head down on the pillow and every morning that we wake up, we do so in the midst of battle. Now, some days, I'll admit, feel more like a vacation. Some days feel more like maybe just good old-fashioned work, but every day we are at war, whether we know it or not. And there are two questions probably more important than any other question when you are at war. The first is, who is my enemy? And the second is, what are we fighting for? Two questions that don't often get answered very clearly. Who is my enemy? Paul says, your enemy is not your neighbor. It's not your wife or your husband, even though it can sometimes feel that way. It's not your kids. It's not your coworkers. It's not uh, Democrats. Or Republicans or Libertarians. It's not China or Russia or North Korea. That's not your enemy. Your enemy are the spiritual forces of darkness. Your enemy is evil. Your enemy is Satan himself. Two, what are you fighting for? Well, you're not fighting for financial security, you're not fighting for pleasure. We're not fighting for comfort. We're not fighting for power. We're not fighting for success or just plain old general good American uh, dreams and happiness, no. We are fighting for the soul of every single human being, for the eternal fate of every person, you and me included. Every day, there's an adversary working against us to overthrow us. And if we're not strong, he will succeed. There is nothing more pressing, there is nothing more pertinent than that we fight this fight every day we get up. And I tell you this, Paul tells us this, not to make us fearful, but to make us aware. Simply aware, ready, prepared. And to be quite the opposite of fearful, right? But be strong. He says, be strong. Now we're gonna talk here in a minute about how to, how to put on the armor of God, right? And, and there's something that just is stuck out to me more than, than ever. When I mean, this is a pretty familiar scripture. As I've been reading it this time around, um, the words of God have really stuck out to me. The armor of God. And then even at the beginning of this passage, it says, be strong, not in yourself, or be strong, not in any other aspect of, of your life, be strong in who? The Lord. And in the strength of his might. It's is God's strength that we're going to put on here this morning. It's God's strength. So let's do this very thing. Because God has given us everything we need to win this fight. Verses 14 through 18. I'm just going to read through this, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, for all the saints. So let's start with the belt of truth. Let's be reminded this morning that our enemy, Satan, is the father of, anyone? Lies. He's the father of lies. Since the beginning of time, he does nothing but deceive. I, I love the imagery of uh, David Freeman's preaching this sermon today and uh, in the other services today, and he says uh, every boy learns at a young age to tighten his swimsuit trunks before he jumps and dives into the pool. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you don't, obviously they're coming off and you're in a really vulnerable and embarrassing and awkward position. Um, and, and, and the belt of truth. We put that belt on so we don't get caught with our pants down at our ankles. You know, I mean, it is so important to our integrity, to our strength in the midst of war that we wear the belt of truth so we can stand firm against the father of lies. And so it begs the question, where do you find truth? There are many today and have been for some time that says that there's no such thing really even as truth. That's the postmodernist worldview, right? We know better. Well, at least I I would think that we know better. Friends, this is where I must point to Scripture. Scripture, we believe, contains all truth. You hear that? All truth necessary to salvation. This is not some, uh, like, complementary material to living a good Christian life. This is not something we just just pull out here and there and that's somewhat helpful and we can just look to you for advice on the subjects we need it for. This is, Scripture grounds us. You see, the Spirit of Christ leads us into all truth, but you see, uh, that will never contradict Scripture. And from so many issues, some that I don't even care to speak of this morning, others, maybe like gossip or pornography, or greed or, you know, I could go on and on and on that the scripture could not speak more clearly about. Every one of us has in some way or another bought into these lies, the deception of Satan that says it's not really sinful or God doesn't really expect that of us. And friends, if we want to put on the belt of truth, we must ground ourselves in this book. You got to know this book. You got to read this book. You've got to tailor your life to God's will that's revealed in this book above all else. I think of 2 Timothy chapter three. He says, all, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All scripture is good for that. And then he says just just. Shortly after, he tells Timothy, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You hear this warning? Do you see this happening, not just in our culture, but in our church too? And will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. Let this be a warning to us, to find truth where truth can be found. And when what we think is good and right and beautiful and true doesn't quite match up with what scripture plainly sets forth, we submit. Otherwise, you're vulnerable. Otherwise, Satan's gonna win you over. Where do you find truth? Second thing, the breastplate of righteousness. How do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? got one quick thing to say about this, is that um, this isn't about being perfect. We strive for perfection, but you don't put on this breastplate by saying, I'm never going to sin again. <laughs> I mean, sure, that's a, that's a noble aspiration. And I, I was there and have been there probably a thousand times, and guess what? I've sinned again. <laughs> How do we put it on? We live continuously in repentance. It's as simple as that. The opposite of what Adam and Eve did, right? After they sinned, what did they do? They ran and they hid from God. It's in Christ that we've learned. It's through Christ's blood that we know we need not run and hide from God after we sin. We run towards God and receive his righteousness bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Repentance, friends. That beautiful light. And and Satan, he's, he's trying to deceive you in remaining in an unrepentant lifestyle. He's trying to keep you fearful of repentance all the time. He's trying to keep you fearful of fully giving your life in whatever little or big area of your life that you're keeping from God. Whatever thing you you just insist on doing that for so long, you know deep down, you need to turn from that way. And Satan is trying to keep you from repenting. And once again, you are vulnerable as long as you remain in unrepentance. So don't worry about being perfect today for the rest of your life forever. (laughs) Just give yourself over, submit yourself continually to a life of repentance. And you will wear that breastplate of righteousness. Third, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This one's kind of hard to interpret, but I'm gonna do my best. The gospel of peace is the good news that God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ, making everything and everyone whole. It is restoration. This is not just some small thing. This is the good news, right? This is the very work of God and the church, the body of Christ. Now, Paul says, as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, if we believe the gospel of peace, that God is reconciling the world to himself to himself making all things and all people new fully restored alive this is a big deal and we ought to be ready this makes us ready this awakens something within us right the the word for ready there in greek is really it's prepared it's a preparation for battle and if there's any seed that i feel like satan is sowing in the church and has been for a while now it's a seed of apathy apathy It's a seed of indifference towards this very gospel that saved us. You know what I mean? I just, I I wonder, have have you received the love of Christ, you know? Have you really received the forgiveness of your sins? Have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? If not, Lord, send it, you know? Wake me up. Prepare me. This is not just the job of preachers and missionaries and pastors and the holy few, you know. This is everybody, all of you, getting to partake in this redemptive work of God. This is your purpose in life, period. There is no higher calling that any one of us has than to participate in this work with God. And there's a reason that after before Jesus left his disciples one of the things that he told them again and again in a variety of ways in all the gospels is don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Be prepared. Temptations are gonna come and you have no idea when the son of man is going to return. So stay awake. Don't be caught off guard. When we gather in worship, one of the questions I've been asking myself recently is why do we why do we gather? And I think this this spirit of apathy and indifference tends to pervade the American church in general. Um, and and I think the reason is because is because we've sort of been trained to go to worship on Sundays to simply receive. Like I want to be stirred up by the people doing the music, or by The preacher but then in like the book of hebrews i think that scripture where the writer says to stir one another up like everybody when you gather don't neglect gathering and meeting and when you do stir one another up to, to love and good works like it is your job when you gather the reason you are here that we all are gathering is so that each and every one of you can stir up the person sitting to your left and the person sitting to your right to love and good works And if you've only got one or two or five or ten people in the room who are the wooden spoons stirring everyone else up, at at some point it's not enough. God has given you gifts of the Spirit to be ministers to the people around you when you gather. And I pray that he awakens you to that reality and to that exciting truth that makes coming to worship so much more fun and vibrant. The shield of faith. Satan is always trying to get you to distrust in God. Again, going all the way back to the garden, it's the root of all sin. Some might disagree with me, but I'm just becoming more and more to believe that the root of all sin is distrust, is doubt in a God who is faithful. God tells them exactly what will happen if they eat from the tree. And Satan, he says, you won't surely die. God just told you that because he doesn't want you to be like himself. You see, he's sowing seeds of distrust. He, He doesn't want you to believe that God is really trustworthy, that what he puts forth in this book is really trustworthy. So be on the lookout for those lies. We've diminished the word faith in our church to simply uh, believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, you know, and it's so much more. Faith, really, I mean, really, a word, a word that in our culture I think is far better for understanding faith is trust. I think in every way, if you never use the word faith again <laughs> and you only use trust in its place, you would do well. I actually kind of wish that we did that. Start thinking of your relationship with God as a relationship of trust as trust being the very means by which the power of God is made manifest in you. As trust being the means by which you are saved, by grace through trust, you're saved. Helmet of salvation. The entirety of the book of Ephesians is about salvation. It's really beautiful. And Paul is reiterating again and again, certainty, hope, Leaning into the promises of God, not doubting that I am, that I was, I am, and I will be saved. I want to share with you a dream that I had a couple weeks ago, and this will kind of make sense of what I'm saying. Um, in this dream, it was one of those weird and powerful dreams where you wake up and you're like, that was different. And in this dream, uh, I was walking all about the, the city in this day, and there was like the mafia or the mob had all of these people coming after me, all of these evil characters that were trying to get at me. Everywhere that I went, I felt threatened and in danger. And uh, in my dream, I walked straight into the mob boss's house and uh, straight up to the mob boss at a table of cards he was playing, and he turned around, and everybody's in shock that I would do this. And I didn't even feel like it was really me doing it. It's almost like I was watching myself in third person. And I gave... The mob boss a credit card. It's my father's credit card in the dream. And it was an ongoing payment for as much money as he could ever want. And it freed me from the bounty on my head. He said, here's as much as you could ever need. Your guys are not welcome to come after me anymore. And so he said, okay, you're free. And that's not the end of the dream. Just after I left the house the next day, there was someone that came to me, and that person was myself from yesterday. So I'm me, I'm here, I'm free. I no longer have this bounty on my head. I'm, I'm no longer being attacked. And then me from yesterday starts trying to get my attention. And I realize I mean, this is a spitting image. It's me from yesterday. And he, he's frantic, and he's fearful because he's still under attack. And he's not yet been saved, he's still being attacked by the enemy, and, and he wants me to follow him. And he's trying to say, come, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You've got to follow me. We've got to find safe. And, and I just said, no. <laughs> I just ignored him. I just didn't even pay attention to him. And then shortly later, I woke up. And um, I started to kind of reflect on this dream, and it just seemed so clearly a reflection of how the spiritual life can be that, of course, God has paid for our sins, and freed us from the bounty on our head. That really, the enemy can't, can't touch us. God has bought our freedom. But, even after that happens, we're susceptible to falling back into the lie that we have not yet been saved. That this work was not yet really done. And friends, this is, this is one of the most insidious lies Satan can sow, and it's... I just pray that you might have the assurance of salvation this morning, that you might trust in the work that God has done for you, that that as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, I believe, he says that those who are called will be justified. Those who are justified will be sanctified. Those who are sanctified will be glorified. And every time your old self says, wait, did that really happen or is that really true? You just ignore it. You just trustingly live into this amazing redemptive work that God did in your life. Lastly is the sword of the Spirit. Sword of the Spirit. Um, Which is the Word of God, he says. I want to just... Quick note, um, usually when you, if, if not always, when you read the, the words, the Word of God in the Bible, they're not talking about the Bible. So when he says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, really the Word all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is, is more indicative of like, like God's own Word. It's more all-encompassing than Scripture. In fact, it's almost synonymous with God's Spirit, Okay. So, wield the sword of the Spirit. And I have this I, I, idea. I just saw the soldier that, that Paul is putting together here, that he wants each and every one of us to be. And it struck me that a Christian without the sword of the Spirit is a soldier with no weaponry. You got nothing. It's a soldier with no, so what is the sword of the spirit? How do we wield that? And he says, immediately after, it's prayer. By prayer and supplication. By praying in the spirit at all times. So we wield the sword of the spirit, the power of the spirit. We wield our one weapon that we have by prayer. And I want you to hear this. A church without prayer is an army that never advances. Because a Christian without prayer is a soldier with no weaponry. Got the spirit, but you're getting nothing done. You may wear the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. You may have put on the helmet of salvation and you may carry the shield of faith. But if you have not the sword of the spirit, while you may be safe from personal injury, sure, you're protected. You are of no help to your king or your country, your captain or your army. You're no good to anyone but yourself. This is the importance of prayer. Praying in the spirit. Is a quote from a man named Dr. Reuben Archer Torrey that I just want to read you for a listen. Just listen. He says, I believe that the devil stands and looks at the church today and laughs in his sleeve as he sees how its members depend on their own scheming and powers of organization and skillfully devised machinery ha ha, the devil laughs. You may have your costly church edifices and your $50,000 church organs and your brilliant university-bred preachers and your high-priced choirs and your gifted singers and your wonderful quartets, your immense men's Bible classes, yes, and your Bible conferences and your Bible institutes and your special evangelistic services. All you please of them, you may have them. It does not in the least bit trouble me. If only If you will only leave out of them the power of the Lord God Almighty sought and obtained by the earnest, persistent, believing prayer that will not take no for an answer. You hear what the devil's saying there? Leave out of it prayer and you've got no way to hurt me. Have all that you want. Just leave out the power of God sought and obtained through earnest, persistent, believing prayer. every christian must learn to pray and i'll say it again because if not you are of no help to your king or your country your captain or your army learn to pray and wield that wonderful gift of the spirit that god has given you do damage do wonderful brilliant damage to the enemy um, our daily text, the, the daily devotion we have from Seedbed, on May 7th, he said something. Uh, J.D. Walt wrote something just, just powerful. He says, if we pay close attention, we see that all of our defensive armor is really Jesus himself. Right, Truth, righteousness, faith, salvation. Jesus doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. He doesn't just offer salvation. He is salvation. He doesn't just have peace. He is Peace, right? All this comes down to putting on Jesus Christ himself. And I want to encourage you this morning not to accept anything less for yourself or for the church than the full armor and the full strength of God, that we might step into that, that we wouldn't just wait for him to put it on, but that we would put it on here this morning In all these ways that I've talked about and more, let's put on the armor of God, and as his mighty soldiers walk out of this place ready. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we've been praying for some time now. Teach us to rely on you. I believe that you're answering this prayer. Continue to show us how to stand firm in your strength and in your might. This morning, give us each the faith and the strength that we need to to be willing to submit ourselves fully to you. I pray that there would be confession and repentance. And new life in greater faith a restoration of the the salvation promises that you've made in our hearts and minds and our lives do the work within us that we cannot do in ourselves send your holy spirit and equip us for this battle that we are in we declare that we have no need to fear but that we are excited to stand side by side with you and do your work. We thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful armor that you are. Amen.